0: to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Amadeep Seher, Head of Delivery and Co-Founder at Amity. Amity is a consultancy where people and technology come together to deliver powerful, technical delivery solutions for some of the market's most respected organizations. Amity was set up in order to listen, analyze, collaborate, and deliver successful digital projects. So, Amadeep is here today to share her story and a few of the lessons along the way. Welcome, it's great to have you.
1: Thank you, Nadia, and thanks for that great introduction, actually. I was like, oh,
0: that's good. <laughs> I'm super excited to have you here, and I just want to, you know, learn more about you. So, let's, let's start off. Tell us about Amity.
1: So, I've um, been in the technology world now for around, I think about seven, eight years, and I kind of fell into technology, I didn't always work in technology, I used to be a teacher for eight years. And when I left teaching, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I just knew I didn't want to work in teaching anymore, but I ended up falling into technology. And I went on this journey and fell into great companies, and really just loved what I did, I loved the technology world, loved the people in it, loved everything about it at the start of the pandemic, well, just before the pandemic, I met my business, my, my now business partners, and was umming and ahhing what my next move was was going to be, and so were they, and I said to them, I think I want to run a consultancy, and they said, so do we, and we went into partnership, but we ended up <laughs> starting operations on the 1st of April 2020, right when the pandemic started, so for the first you know, six months, I kind of just laid on my yoga map with the rest of the world doing nothing. Worked really hard actually on my LinkedIn presence, you know, trying to connect with people and network with people via LinkedIn. I would say from starting the consultancy to about nine months later is when everything kind of trickled back in. Everybody got a little bit more confident with what was happening in the pandemic. And we started working with some great organisations and hiring people. So that's how it started. And like any software engineering consultancy, we cover pretty much everything. But I think our sweet spots are definitely data, anything in the data space and anything in the legacy space. We quite enjoy taking our customers on a journey of what was fit for purpose to what is fit for purpose
0: yeah I love that because I can imagine there's a huge demand for that when people are stuck in legacy solutions and they need to just move forward to today's day and age and I love how you know you you kind of describe what you do is listening analyzing collaborating to deliver and I think that that collaboration is so important now in today's way of working
1: yeah so important I think I'm I'm always a little bit skeptical about anything in life when somebody new enters a situation in any walk of life and straight away starts suggesting things people will come into situations with an idea of what they think they want to do the most effective way of doing things is just listening first just listening and observing and seeing what's going on because you know what they say they say that the quietest person in the room has the best opinion right because they're more informed and I think that's what we try and do when we go into organizations what people often start by saying their problem is and how they need some support quite often is the least of the problems and they've got they've got all these other issues first that they need to resolve so that's why we like to do that collaboration definitely now that most people are remote in the technology world yeah going back into the office is a thing and we do that but generally speaking people have found a nice work-life balance and they want to work from home. So it's even more important now to find the best ways to collaborate and communicate like this, like what we're doing now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you brought in that, the importance of communication and clear communication. But there is one part of this, I mean, I love all of it. But there's one part that is just really, really amazing. And it's just that sort of transition from the education sector into the tech sector. Because Mm. now in technology, there is such a demand for talent. And what a great case study you are that you know, you were in teaching for however many years and you moved over. And when we spoke about that move, I know that you've said that you sought out mentors. So people come on here and they talk about the importance of mentorship and the importance of advocacy. What I love about your story that I wanted you to share with us is that, you really drove that yourself. It's not like a mentor just you know, just turned up on your doorstep. You sought out that mentorship and that advocacy. And I just love that story and I'd love for you to share that with us.
1: I think we live in this world right now of the pressure to self-improvement is like the culture now. Every single area of your life, you should have a mentor and wake up at 4am and do a 15k run while raising 18 children and running a successful business. It's just, it's just not real. And when I left teaching... I didn't leave teaching. It's really important for me because I really respect the education industry. I didn't leave teaching because I couldn't do it and I didn't leave teaching because I didn't like it. I left teaching because I felt at the time the curriculum in England was failing students. So I left because of that. Now, a lot of people were like, oh, you'll be back, you'll be back, you'll be back. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I didn't know what I was going to do either. So when I kind of came out of it, I didn't know what to look for. And obviously I wasn't savvy in technology then either. I thought technology was a call centre. You know, I thought that's, that was the extent of what technology was. And so I um, looked online and I saw all these things. Oh, find a female mentor, find a mentor, do this. And I was like, I feel a bit confused. Like, I don't want to be matched like that. I don't, you know, I felt like I was on a dating site. So I actually just looked at people in my actual life. And I thought one mentor cannot give you everything. And if you have got one mentor that gives you everything for every aspect in your life, then share that person's number because we could all use that person so what I thought is I put my life into categories and I was like where am I going to live because I was in London at the time but now I'd quit my job and had no money where am I going to live do I go back up north my love life was a mess and now my career is a mess at all points were just a mess so I sought people out in my life that could contribute to different aspects and actually what I found was the career was the last of my problems. I needed to sort out where I wanted to live. I needed to get my actual life back on track with like personal goals. First, I like, looked into my friendship groups. I ended up having a very good relationship with one of my friend's husbands. He's really high in business. He's, he's very, very successful. I've known him for about 10 years. And I just kind of had a chat with him about what do you think I can do? I don't know what I can do. What do you think I can do? And that was the first... What I now see as was my mentor, because we would go, we would go and have some dinner or I'd go to his house or he'd come to mine and all the conversation would be around my growth. So although it wasn't mentorship, it was mentorship. So that gave me a really firm path for career. I then sought out friends, the non-judgy friends, because we all have judgy friends and non-judgy friends, about my personal life and the fact that i just moved back from Mexico. I was living in London, really broke. I wasn't happy with how I looked at the time or anything like that and you know I just felt like a bit of a mess and so I reached out to her and I was like am I okay kind of like that like I knew I wasn't at the point where I'm in depression or anxiety but I knew I wasn't okay either I wasn't happy and so I started working with her and then from that it just expanded so the husband that I used to talk to well I still do he um, put me in touch with one of his business colleagues And he was like, now go and have like a completely non-biased conversation with somebody about what you're going to try and achieve in the next five years and see if it's realistic. And that's how it built. A lot of them, and people are sometimes shocked by this, a lot of them were and are male. You know, I've not necessarily sought out female mentors. I've got them and I have them still. But my initial mentors and allies have always been men. I don't think there's any reason for that. It just just happened like that. So one of the biggest things I say to females specifically is don't think that you have to find a woman. You you don't. You can also find a man. You can find whoever you want, whatever fits for for your circumstance. It would be great if I found a woman that was 20 years older and experienced and gone through life that had the exact same life that I had lived because I'd be able to identify more. Actually, me being able to talk about my differences with someone who's completely different gives them more insight and it gives me a different opinion
0: great to share that because it's just so important that when people are seeking out that mentorship that it's not a one size fits all is it it's actually going yeah. to a number of people And what I love about that story is the advocacy as well like your mentors then when it introduced you to somebody else which is what you know networking and, and what that advocacy is all about so you've touched upon women not needing female men- mentors. G- great, if so, but also anyone can be a mentor, and yeah, anyone should yeah. be a mentor. But also, I think just as a woman running a consultancy, you've seen good, the bad, the ugly side of inclusion. And, and actually, when we spoke about this before, we said exclusion in the tech space. I wanted you just to share some examples, but also share how really you've dealt with it so that you are still succeeding and thriving within this space.
1: I want to be really careful with the audience as well. This is my personal journey and it's not to be taken that it one size fits all. There's been areas where I've been really really lucky, someone would call privileged, I wouldn't, but I would say lucky, and there's been areas where I've been very very unlucky. But this is just my my personal journey. So, I definitely think discrimination happens on lots of different areas that people don't even realize. And I'll start with my accent, moving to London and having this Yorkshire Broad accent starts off conversations with oh you probably didn't have a very good education growing up and I've heard that in the work in the work in the physical workplace which is interesting now add the fact that my name is Amadeep and most people don't know how to pronounce it so then I get straight away have you got something I could call you by shorter like, have you got have you got a nickname and I'm like I've got a name I experienced challenges in education but education in the schools that I taught everybody needs an education in England so I'm speaking to Amadeep's and Samantha's and Craig's and Jonathan's and Mohammed's I'm speaking to them all and everyone's learning each other's name and in technology though I've definitely faced that one other one as well this I really learned this in the pandemic a lot and it was really disheartening at the beginning of the pandemic is when, you sent a message on, when I sent a message on LinkedIn to, you know, like a cold thing, they would, the first question they would ask is, are you based in India? Well, if you looked at my profile, mate, you'd see that it was like London. And if you watch some of the videos and the posts that I'd done, you would see that I'm actually just like a, I'm a Northern girl. Not that it matters whether I was from India. These are all the barriers I'm breaking down to even have a conversation first. Let alone walking into the, a room now with this accent, with these tattoos, with this hoodie on. And with a level of experience that you've brought me in to talk about, and at the beginning of my journey, I found it really, really hard. It definitely got me upset. But I think in the long term, it's given me really thick skin. I think because I've also had those really positive role models, the mentors I've built up over my technology career have been invaluable, and I think they'll stay in my life for the rest of my life. And it's not. Again, that was never, I'm going to be your mentor. That was just a very open, honest conversation that led into bigger and better conversations. So I always, when I go into an organisation now or I'm partnering with an organisation, I first sort out and see, I don't really care about reading your diversity policy. I really, really don't care at all. And if you try and introduce me to an ethnic minority or a woman that might not be ethnic, running your DNI, i really don't care either. Like, I just, I just don't care for it. What I want to see is the organisation. So that's when I start to, like, you know, if someone's using Slack, I'll have a look through Slack and see what kind of things are being talked about in their Slack groups that are specifically for females, specifically for diversity and inclusion, specifically for LGBTQ rights, all these. I see the conversations that are happening because if you've got loads of people complaining about an organisation in an organization's channels, then the organization's not doing something right. And that's how I kind of like try and find the balance because I want to work with organizations that truly care rather than people that write a policy.
0: So that is super, super useful because a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're like, how can we get better? Right. And just you sharing those heartfelt examples, you know, I know this only goes out on audio, but you, you know, you can all listening to this just imagine me. I was wincing through that because I recognize it. You know, and and I recognise it from all walks of life and all sorts of people that don't realise they're being offensive. You know, it's the, the yeah. archetypal "Where are you really from?" Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. West London, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Leeds. Uh, yeah, you know, like um, it's yeah, it's the archetypal that that question. So. I really appreciate you sharing it because it is it is a challenge. It is difficult, but I think you know my next question is is just as hard. What do you think is key for change to really, really happen?
1: I think organizations and people need to not be afraid to have really honest conversations. When there was an unfortunate event of George Floyd, organizations flocked to write a statement on where they stood. I thought that was a really bad move by a lot of organisations because it almost felt like they were jumping on a trend. And I think that's really, really dangerous. I think in in those moments, and I I want to be really careful with my words and I don't want to offend anybody or use the wrong language, but I feel like black people have been living this forever. This is not the first time and this won't be the last time and it hasn't been the last time. But for organisations to suddenly put up a policy of where they stand, why don't you make your... PSLs more accessible to smaller firms that are run by ethnic people why don't you make your recruitment processes less biased why don't you openly address microaggressions and things that you say in the office is deemed as banter I hate the word banter now because of that when it's not it's actual racism and I I call out when people say the word microaggression I correct them and I say do you mean aggression it's not a microaggression it's an aggression It's not a closet racist, it's a race. It's not a closet homophobic person, the person's homophobic, you know, things like this. And I think that's what organisations should do. They shouldn't be so focused on writing a policy. Go and listen to the conversations that happening when people have coffees. Be open and transparent if you don't know information. Don't invite the only ethnic in your company to give a speech on black history or Diwali. Like, don't do that. You know, like, create communities of practice. Like, we can learn a lot from the agile world, and one thing that they've got is communities of practice in, like, business analysis or software engineering or delivery management. Why don't you put communities of practice in the different policies that you're trying to have? You're trying to write a new policy on pronouns. Why don't you get a group of people and put them into a community of practice and let them figure it out and get some honest feedback. People are scared I think they're just scared of hearing the truth and I think when you've heard the truth a lot and you've got a bit unfortunately thick skin because of circumstance you're not scared of the truth anymore. So I live my life anyway, at least. Yeah,
0: that's super powerful because again, you know, there are some fantastic organizations that want to get this right and they're not sure how, but just, you know, your advice on, you know, listening to people, looking at those Slack channels, when people are talking to one another in safety, they're they're talking to each other openly. And and actually that starts with not being afraid to hear the truth. But then I think it really needs that, you know, action afterwards. Once you've heard the truth, got to do something about it. And you know, I love what you said about the microaggressions and the word banter, great. Like hey, that, Matt, like honestly, yeah.
1: Honestly, it it seeds me. Like, I, honestly, I, I hate that word of microaggression. It's not a micro anything, it's a macroaggression. Yeah,
0: it's playing it down, I, isn't it? And yeah, like it, to, it? To, to
1: in plain sight be able to speak and say things like that it's like not for me I call it out and I think I have to call it out because I've suffered discriminations on lots of parts a lot for being a female a lot for being Indian a lot for this a lot for that a lot for my accent and I know that there's people out there that are probably know not as vocal as me so I'm going to speak up now so that when you do say it to the wrong person and that person goes home and it really impacts their mental health you'll think twice before saying it wow. so I'd rather be, I'd rather be the, the girl in the room that does that than potentially you harm other people
0: yeah fantastic and look that takes me really like nicely onto my last question i always i always have a last question that's like a call to action because i don't want people just listening to a podcast saying "Oh, that was interesting and that's that i want them to go and do something about it so that we can truly walk the talk for change so if there's one thing that everyone should be doing what would you want them to do to really drive workplace inclusion
1: I'll go from a management point of view just because I think that's where the, a lot of impact can come from. If you start making your PSLs and the PSL process more accessible to smaller organisations and to focused organisations, you'll very quickly open the door and there'll be more opportunities to diversity and inclusion. If there's a specific for example, recruitment agency that deals with just black people or just anyone from the LGBTQ community, they're going to struggle to get on your PSL for various reasons. Why don't you make a tiered approach to getting onto the PSL so that they've got an opportunity because the point, the key is in the opportunity.
0: I love that. No one has ever spoken about preferred suppliers lists on these these podcasts and we are about to knock on the door of the 300th episode. So honestly that's absolutely fantastic a piece of advice and thank you for everything you've shared with us today it's been so open so honest so heartfelt and I feel like there's so much that people can now go and implement in their workplaces thank you for having me Nadia